Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? Powered by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook. Always remember to bet local. Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Another great show expected on the CJ Show for this Thursday. We have a Pride Tape update. Uh, we're going to talk some Puck Doku. Uh, we have a conversation to be had about attendance when it comes to the Winnipeg Jets and the Ottawa Senators. But to start, uh, CJ, did you ever think your first byline uh, for The Athletic would involve the word decentralization uh, <laughs> and the NHL draft? No, I mean, if you had have gone back to last Friday or whatever it was when I signed my contract and they had to said, what's your first story? That wouldn't have been on my radar. And and frankly, this whole story for anyone that, that's just catching up on it has kind of come about, I think, almost organically from the teams to the league. And, and, and it's happened really in the last few weeks in which, you know, some teams are very interested in seeing the NHL draft. Uh, pretty dramatically overhauled from what we would call normal, from what's been the tradition in the league, you know, going back basically 50 years uh, and, and doing something similar to what you see in the, in the NBA or the NFL, where the prospects are in a centralized draft location and, and basically each team's front office staff, their scouting staff uh, stays in market. It's all done sort of in a, in a hybrid virtual slash um, centralized draft location way. And so, no, that would, that was not, planning to be my first story, but obviously it's become a pretty, I would say significant story. I mean, I don't know what the fan level of interest in it is, but, but certainly inside the industry, it's a buzzy item because, you know, as you well know, Julian, I mean, look, the two, two of the, the times we've done this show live was around the draft the last two years. We did one show in Nashville, uh, one in Montreal. And, you know, it really is a time where the whole league gets together. You've got agents there, the players and their families, obviously the scouts, the GMs, you know, most of the head coaches come, um, even some assistant coaches come to, to that event. And when you mix it all together, I mean, it's, it's sort of hockey's version of a giant industry conference. And it, you know, it does seem as though there's at least a chance for it now to change. You know, one of the other interesting aspects of this and, and a, a league memo went out Wednesday, Julian, which is partly what I was writing about, uh, in that debut story at the athletic was, you know, the league, a lot of times things happen in the NHL where I, I sort of feel like the, the outcome is predetermined but there's kind of a process that goes through. I'm not sure the outcome this time is predetermined. I, I really believe that the NHL head office wants to hear from teams, wants to see, um, you know, how they feel about this kind of change. You know, I don't think, for example, something as though Gary Bettman and Bill Daly, Colin Campbell, the top people at the NHL sat around and said, Hey, we got to change the draft. It's it. This is, this is the rare bottom up story versus top down, uh, which is how, how, you know, change tends to happen in, in the league, I think from time to time. And so, there's a deadline next Tuesday, October 24th. Each team gets one vote, so to speak, or one ballot. I don't think it's truly like a, it's not like an election here, you know, new draft, old draft. But, but I think, you know, certainly they, the league wants teams to have internal conversations between obviously their presidents, their ownership, their hockey op staff, maybe even their marketing departments, because the draft is, is a big marketing event too. And, you know, basically come back, you know, Anaheim's got to say yes or no to a change, you know, Boston, Columbus, Carolina, Toronto, Montreal, you know, every team's going to make a vote. And then I think if there's a strong enough support, you know, we're going to see a pretty big change to the draft, which is going to, which is going to dent uh, your social time, because I know you're the king of uh, the late nights at the draft, uh, my friend. Well, I mean, 
I, I could probably use the rest in, in hindsight. Yeah, I have been known to kind of run myself dry that week. In all, it, it, in, in all seriousness, though, like I, I've been trying to picture it in my mind, and, and, and you're right. They, they are trying to th – they're thinking of having it look like what the NFL has it and what the NBA has it as well. But one other thing I didn't account for, and I, and I, I, I discovered this reading your piece, I, I, I just sort of assumed, you know, whenever the draft happens – it's sort of assumed that it's going to happen at the arena that the host team normally plays for. But as you've written in your article, uh, the T-Mobile arena has like a UFC event in late June. And it doesn't appear as if there's like a specific like home site for the Vegas draft. And that's why we've heard rumors of, hey, maybe they'll have it in the sphere. It's something that just didn't click in my mind. I thought they were just trying to be adventurous when those rumors of the sphere was going on. I didn't know that they're still kind of looking for a spot, right? Like, I, I, there was a part of me that just kind of wondered, well, how much of this also plays in into that too with regards to this story in terms of finding locations? Well, I think it's an element of it. Basically, what you're getting at here, the 2024 draft, which is going to be June 28th and 29th, doesn't have a home right now. No. And we've, we've long suspected it was going to be Vegas. Vegas was, I mean, originally, if you go back six, eight months, I think that the league wanted to have it in Vegas. I think they wanted to have it at T-Mobile Arena. That's that's since changed. You know, the UFC had some some contractual agreements, and so they were able to to take those dates instead. And while the league is still looking at Vegas, and you know, I, I can tell you with certainty, the Sphere is still very much on the NHL's radar. I just don't know if they they don't even know what it's going to cost. And I, you know, I don't know if you've seen those reports that have gone gone around, Julian, about you know how much it costs just to rent the the LED screens on the outside for like a day. Like I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but the league is, is definitely exploring the sphere probably would be the number one option. I think they have a backup location in Vegas that they feel comfortable about. I've actually heard too, that there's two other cities in addition to Vegas that, that have backup options for the league. Um, you know, I've heard one of them could be Montreal actually. Um, and so I think, the point is, is there are places to take the 2024 draft. I, I don't, I don't actually think we need to worry about that one so much. I can't Fair. tell you where it's going to be. Obviously that the, the people in charge of making those decisions don't yet know where it's going to be. Um, but, but certainly there, there, I think that there are places that they could in, in a pretty short order, you know, get all the hotel bookings and do everything they need and, and, and have the draft in June at the end of June in one of those places really the discussion that's happening now is, is probably for 2025. Now it's not to say that it, that's the weird part in the league memo. They did leave open a small crack that said, Hey, that we could use this right away starting this year. But I think that the, the conversation is more focused on 2025. And so how weird will that be? If we know that there's going to be a change and we're going to the sort of final ever on-site draft or in arena draft or however you want to call it, where you have all the, the 32 team tables on the draft floor and, and, you have the the broadcast rights holders, you know, Elliot Friedman, whoever it is, saying like, "Oh, we've got the assistant GM from this team and this team walking to Central Registry. There's going to be a trade." I mean, it's like, basically, I think that 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 model is on the clock, and it makes me feel a little nostalgic personally. Like, I don't again, I don't think a fan necessarily cares about this because if you experience this event on TV, I don't know that it's going to look all that different, really. Like, I don't think it's going to change much for the at home experience. Um, but on the ground, certainly it's different. And I think I've been to, I don't know, 15 drafts or something in my day, maybe even a bit more than that. So it's kind of weird to imagine that it's all going to, it's going to change. But I, I will say, I don't think the TV product at the draft is all that great. If I'm going to be honest, I've certainly heard that um, from people that don't get to go. 
And so I do think that there's a chance to maybe modernize everything to try to reimagine how this is presented and packaged. And so, you know, let's face it, uh, everything evolves and changes. And, and you know, I, I can't say for sure how this is going to go. That's the other part is I reached out to, you know, a bunch of people work for teams in front offices yesterday. And I was, I really got a lot of split kind of ideas. Like there's a lot of pros and cons, right? We can run yeah. through them pretty quickly. The pros to an in arena draft. I think it is pretty fun for everyone to be in one place. There is some benefit for teams to say meet agents in face to face that week and 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 they can do it pretty efficiently for a quick coffee. And, and obviously that's setting up free agency and a lot of other things going on. They can meet with the draft prospects themselves. A lot of times teams in the day or two before the draft will actually meet face to face again with the prospects, introduce, say, the 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 player they think they're gonna take to their owner, things like that. You know, there is the entertainment factor. There's the the fact that it's pretty cool to be in one city. I mean, just think of the people that work for teams that attend the draft every year. Like, if you're a hardcore hockey fan, you could have went to Nashville and just, like, looked around and saw Steve Eisenman, Joe Sackick, um, you know, Marty St. Louis. Like, like all kind. We Even could go down Bill Daly walking the streets. Right. Well, and, and see Julian McKenzie at 3 a.m. at Tootsie's. I mean, like, you could see it all in one in, in one fell swoop. As, well, they close at two, and and if if we're at that time, that means a whole bunch of other people will have been at Tootsie's, and police will be leading us all out because they're trying to get us out of there. Fair enough, but you know that what I mean. May like, or may not have happened. So those are the pros of it. Those are the pros of an in-person draft. It's like you get all that, and that's kind of cool. The cons are it is exorbitant cost-wise for these teams. I mean, teams send 30, 40, 50 people to the draft. Obviously, there, there's jacked-up rates because there's a big event in town. All the hotels are booked at that time. It's it's fairly inefficient to have that many people traveling around, especially since it's going to be June 30th, the day after the draft, and, and everyone's going to be scrambling back to get to their markets. It's the day before free agency. That's when a lot of work should be getting done in terms of signing free agents that, that you know, when the, the bells chimes on July 1st. I heard from a few people that work for teams that the, the floor itself, they don't feel is the best work environment, that it's loud. It's kind of, there's a lot of people in your business that, that, you know, I, I talked to three different people who work for teams who said that they liked it better during those two pandemic drafts, 2020 and 2021, where they were basically had the, the, the relative privacy of their own war room where they could be making calls uh, in terms of facilitating trades and things of that nature, you know, instead of having everybody kind of in their business. So there's, there's pros and cons there. It's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, basically what the teams respond. I think that's that's where we're at. And they only have until next Tuesday. So this is going to be, I think, a front burner issue, one you're going to hear more talk about. And um, yeah, it's uh, this is in my wheelhouse, man. It's, it involves league memos and minutia and all this stuff. And this is this is where I shine down in the mud. What about prospects? Like, I mean, if I'm a prospect, like what if it's going to go to this route where it's going to look like the NBA or the NFL? What's stopping a prospect from saying, well, you know what, like if I only just get to just, I guess some would still want to go to that venue, but if it's not going to have as many people there, what's stopping me from just staying home. And but like what we see on NFL broadcasts where we just have my, just have the entire family in my living room. And then we get the phone call and then you pull out whatever hat or whatever Jersey and you get to experience it that way. Like what's stopping them from doing that? I don't know if there's anything stopping them. Certainly what the league is contemplating right now though, is having all the prospects in one place, basically creating the same experience they would get. I mean, they can have their families there that, yeah. you know, I should be clear, even though most teams, you know, the large portion of the team's front office stays in their, their own market, there'd be at least one or two representatives from every team there. Um, you know, plus, you know, Gary Bettman. And I think what's stopping you is you still get your moment on stage on national TV, right? If, if you come to the, if, if you come to the draft, 
it, I think that they can go to some cooler venues too, right? Because you're not, you don't need that draft floor set up. You know, you can look at five or 10,000 seat places. It, I mean, it doesn't have to even be in an NHL city. Maybe Julian, I mean, maybe one day we're talking about having this be in Europe or somewhere, you know, like who knows? Like, there's, there's lots of things I think you could do um, if, if you went to this sort of hybrid model. And, you know, so you still get called to the stage. You, you get to shake the commissioner's hand. There would be a representative from the team there to probably hand you a jersey and a hat and you get your photo op and then you do your media on site and then you probably fly to the city, you know, within a day or so of, of when you got drafted. I, I don't I don't think that that actually, to me, that experience isn't, I, I'm guessing, look, I've never been drafted, but I don't think that that's that much worse or different than what a player would get now. You're still, you're still realizing your dream. You still get, especially if you're a top prospect going in the first round, you still get kind of your, your 10 minutes in the sun there. And, you know, and you, you get all the hustle bustle that comes after being drafted, the interviews, the broadcast rights, the in-house stuff. So I, I, I think from the prospect end, it would work well. I, I have to tell you just my gut feeling. I think, I think this is where we're going to this model. It just, the the idea of sending like 50 people from 32 teams to one city is again, as cool as it's been. And I know this is part of this other part, right? This is unique. This is unique to the NHL. Like the other drafts don't happen this way. This is one thing I think that works pretty well. And that, you know, has been sort of part of NHL history, but it just, it's not the most efficient use of money and resources. If, if we're being honest time as well. That's fair. As long as the product is, is entertaining. Uh, we're, we're big on trying to make these on make anything to do with the NHL just more entertaining. And for what it's worth, the NFL, even if sometimes it does run a little long, it can be entertaining, but I think a lot of it has to do with teams moving picks around and, and just some of that presentation. So if the if the NHL is trying to copy any either the NBA or the NFL, I kind of hope they copy the NFL style because I, I just kind of like the presentation. I love seeing uh, whichever venue they're at, the fans are kind of taking that floor space and they're all being rabid and, and booing the commissioner and enjoying themselves. I would love to see it a little bit closer to that than the NBA. Right. And the other thing you could do, right, in your own market, especially the teams with picks at the high, at the high end, I think there's more you could be doing at home. If the draft isn't really just in one place, I think you could you could have some sort of party aspect at home a little better. Maybe even, like, I don't know, if 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 the players, if the draft is in New York, say, to start and, and the first overall pick somewhere close, maybe you fly that prospect in that night and bring them to the party. Like, I don't know. There's probably things you could do that I, I you know, it, it opens up opportunities maybe is, is shifting the model. And, and that's why, look, that's why we're where we are. The teams want this. The question is, is it enough teams to force a change right now? Uh, last thing I'll just ask is, I wonder what that means for us as media scribes. Are you worried that this format will probably mean you won't get to go or or, or outlets will find a way to say, you know what, if all these teams are not going to send their personnel, maybe it doesn't make sense that we send more journalists to cover it. Well, I think that would be the outcome. I mean, I can't right now. The draft might be the event that draws the most number of different reporters. Um you know, because over the years, the Stanley Cup has got to a point, obviously there's national writers there and then the writers that cover the local teams, but you don't get a lot of, you don't get a lot of what I would call neutral writers at that event. For example, you, you don't necessarily see a writer there from Minnesota when it's a Vegas, Florida final or, or Buffalo or what have you. Um, whereas in the, you know, in past times, that was the, the way, you know, the all-star game, as much as I love the, the event and things around it, um, you know, doesn't necessarily get the same level of coverage. Like the draft probably is where you basically get most writers and uh, from every single market, 
right? And so, yeah, that, that's probably going by the wayside. So I would recommend, Julian, as much as you've burned the, the midnight oil in 2022 and 2023, save your energy for 2024 because this, this could be the last one. And likely headed to Vegas, but even there's an outside chance we're going back to your hometown of Montreal, which I'm guessing you wouldn't mind if, if that ever came to pass. But likely Vegas. Uh, I would love a Vegas draft. I would love a Montreal draft. Truth be told, I would love a draft anywhere. Uh, just getting the opportunity to travel as a young reporter, uh, still getting their feet wet in, in terms of beat coverage and uh, just being on my own in the NHL world. I will take any experience and enjoy enjoy it to the full extent because life is short. Why the hell not? That's how I see it. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, we're going to get to you can bet that uh, we're going to get to some of the other topics we mentioned up top, including an update, an update when it comes to the pride tape fiasco. Welcome to You Can Bet That with David Bastel. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. DB, we have a rematch of uh, the second round series between the Maple Leafs and the Panthers tonight. Who you got? Yeah, both of these teams obviously had this day circled because it is a rematch from last year. And it seems like the the Leafs, uh, they almost have this Florida postseason thing. It's, it's not the Lightning, it's the Panthers and, and vice versa. So let's look at this game for a second. And I, and I found something interesting that I wanted to throw you guys uh, before we talk about this. So the over-under is at seven goals, which is in betting terms quite high because usually you get games at five and a half, six and a half, but they've lifted this to seven. And the the thing is, CJ, the last seven games between these two teams, hard to believe, but they've all fallen to the under. Are you going to get with that trend or are you thinking something else? I, I'm thinking over, honestly. I mean, early in the season, I'm looking around the league. Do you see some crooked number games uh, through Toronto's first three games of the season? They're 13-4, 13 against. So there's been a lot of goals going into both ends. And, and really, the Panthers and Leafs are two pretty high-octane offensive teams Toronto's top players were called out a little bit after their loss Monday against Chicago so to me I, I put that all in a stew and I'm thinking that this will be a game I, I don't I don't see a one nothing two one kind of defensive style game I think it'll be pretty free-flowing and and a lot of pucks going in the net yeah CJ's got a point it's still early in the season so let the goals flow and remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn for all the best odds before game in game and the best props, sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Thank you, DB. Thanks, guys. This episode of The Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by Shopify. If you could trade a bench warmer for the GOAT, you'd do it, right? Get your business a game-changing pickup by choosing the commerce platform with the Internet's best converting checkout. That's Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. So whether you're selling signed sneakers or offering official outfielders outfits, whether through the in-person POS system or through the all-in-one e-commerce platform, you're covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify also powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States. And being a truly global force, it powers Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success 
every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash johnston, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash johnston to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash johnston. CJ, an early storyline that has been materializing is attendance. And two Canadian markets have kind of popped up when it comes to this topic. Uh, the Canada Life Centre in Winnipeg. Uh, it was reported they had about uh, 11,000, over 11,000 in attendance. And that was for the Kings-Jets game, the Pierre-Luc Dubois return game uh, for uh, the former Winnipeg Jet and also former Columbus Blue Jacket. And then on Wednesday night... Uh, they didn't the sell out their home Center. opener either in Winnipeg. So. That's wild. That's wild that that's going on. And in Ottawa on Wednesday, over 15,000 uh, for the Senators-Capitals game. Uh, it, I didn't expect those numbers so early in the year. Why are we at this point? I mean, that's a, that's a billion-dollar question, not even just a million-dollar question. But I'll tell you the first thing that comes to mind. Tickets are expensive, but do you know what else is expensive? What? Your groceries, your hydro bill, your rent or, or housing costs. I mean, if you, if you have to travel anywhere. I mean, anyone who's doing anything in today's day and age is probably feeling it to, to various degrees or, or noticing what's gone on. And so I think that that like we can't even get into this conversation without just calling that out right off the bat. I mean, life is freaking expensive right now. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people are feeling some pain. Um, and so what would be the first thing you cut back if you're in a, a difficult financial spot? I think it's obviously discretionary spending. And, and I think for most people going to sporting events or concerts or anything of that similar nature would, would be pretty discretionary among the things you have to pay for. So I, that has to be part of it. You know, let, let's start with Winnipeg first. Cause I, I think that they are an interesting circumstance. I mean, they basically sold out something like 10 straight years uh, when the team returned from Atlanta, uh, tremendous support in that market. I, I don't know that the support has changed, but certainly since the, the pandemic restrictions were lifted and you could start having full buildings again, the Jets just have never got their fans back to full buildings on a regular basis. And, you know, some of this is that they have a smaller corporate base um, that, than most teams in terms of season tickets. I think the Jets have something like 15% of their tickets uh, swallowed up by, by corporate buys, whereas, you know, other NHL markets, it's 50 60% depending on the, the market. And so they have to sell more tickets, obviously, to, to everyday people, to, to fans going to games. And, you know, I... I wonder if on some level, I, I kind of talked about this today that they extended Shifley and Hellebuck. Um, you know, certainly they, they wanted to keep the players that that's first and foremost, but I, I wonder if the fact that they've had a little more trouble in their marketplace, generating ticket revenue and filling the building, you know, plays into the idea that you're, you're not rebuilding, that you're not going to trade away players like that and that you should instead sign them and do everything you can to go all in and, and have a create a, you know, competitive team this season. I mean, it seems to me that that's, what's gone on there. And, you know, Winnipeg is a small market, smallest market in the league. And so, you know, for them selling tickets is critical. I mean, the, the league has various things like revenue sharing and other, and other things that go on that can, can help out a team like the jets, but you know, they, they need, I think they feel they need to, to have a winning team on the ice and they have to win their fans back and do what they can to make it work. And, and it just feels like we're headed towards some tough times, doesn't it? And, and you wonder, you know, the league has put out the, the the projections for the salary cap next season that that basically they think they're going to 
you know, see enough growth that they're going to get a full 5% jump in the cap. I wonder if this year goes along, I don't have an answer. And I don't think they would have an answer yet. If, if that could change, if we see this become a trend, not just in the two Canadian markets you mentioned, but other places in the league. And, you know, if, if we see attendance take significant drops, I mean, that's going to have obviously a wider effect on NHL business and, and potentially on the cap. I mean, it's way too soon to project that, but you know, you can't ignore empty seats in October and, and, you know, look, the senators are off to a strong start. I've got uh got a brother-in-law who's owns a part of season tickets down there. And he was texting me pretty excited after their win over the capitals on Wednesday night and feeling good about the early returns in the season, obviously seeing Josh Norris return uh, to the team's lineup and, and them getting a few wins in the bank. Um, you know, the jets made those big signings and yet, you know, I don't think it's an issue where people don't like the team. I just don't know if people want to pay the price or can pay the price it, it costs to go to games on a daily basis. Especially if the team isn't necessarily in that same echelon of, of contender status compared to like a Dallas or a Colorado or even a Vegas. I think that plays a role in that too. Yeah, it might, you know, it's hard to say, like, I, I do know the teams are doing a lot of work on this. I mean, obviously in Ottawa's case, they've got a new ownership group under Michael Landlauer. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of positive momentum in that marketplace for the, for the senators. Uh, and I think on the, on the ice, it's going to reflect that just with the sort of the, where they're at in their cycle of building up towards competitiveness. So it's, I, I don't, as I say, like, I, I don't think it's a, a case of the fans not, not being in on the team. It's just, you know, you just wonder what, what effects the business will have. And, and uh, I think there's going to be a major storyline say, as we get into December, when, when the board of governors meet, uh, they're meeting in Seattle this year in September, but you know, when the, that's, that's league ownership, you know, that, that December meeting is usually where a, a lot of financial uh, modeling is done and, and discussions of this on, on these kind of issues. And so, you know, I think that this, this is an early, these early signs are going to turn into what I think will be a bigger storyline of this season, unfortunately. And, you know, you do feel bad for people out there that are having a tough time of it right now. But as, as I said, off the top, if, if you're, if you're seeing your bills all go up, if it's costing you more to, to feed your family, I think the, the easiest thing to let go is, is, you know, paying a, you know, a few hundred bucks to, to go to a hockey game. I mean, it's just, just a fact. And it's not just hockey. You're not going to a baseball game or a football game or your, your favorite band when they come through town, you're probably just giving that all a pass because that's, that's a reflection of where we're at in these inflationary times. Yeah. Okay. So we will uh, keep tabs on that as uh, the season goes along. Uh, since you did mention, since we did mention the senators and the capitals, uh, did you notice really quickly here? Did you notice Alexander Ovechkin one point uh, through his first three games, one assist, uh, was held without a shot on goal uh, against the Senators? Uh, kind of interesting start for uh, the great eight. Yeah, notable. I mean, the first time in back-to-back games in his entire NHL career, he's re- not registered a shot on goal. Um, you know, I, it, it we we you'd look really dumb over the years if you said much about Alex Ovechkin's goal scoring ability diminishing. Uh, because he's just continued on and on and on. And he's coming off what I think a 42 goal season last year. So another 40 plus goal season, but this is always, I will just say generally why I, I had some doubts about his ability to, to track down Wayne Gretzky in the goal scoring race is because it's just, if you look over history, there's just not many players who continue to score 30 or 40 or 50 goals deep into their thirties. Now he's done it and he's done it long enough that it might not matter, but you know, you wonder if, does he have a big fall off this year? Does is is time catching up on him and is the league moving beyond him? And, you know, does he have a 20 goal season this year, say, instead of a 40 goal season? And, and what does that mean for the goal chase? I mean, he's awfully close to Wayne Gretzky. Um, I don't have the exact um, 
you know, numbers in front of me, but I know he's under a hundred goals away, yeah. but you know, you just, maybe this won't be the, as easy as it looked is, is the one thing that's in my mind about that. But at the same time, I'm probably going to look terrible and he's going to have a hat trick in his next game, uh, Saturday in Montreal and, and time will move on because if there's anything he's done consistently is score goals. He hasn't had very many long droughts. And I imagined, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that this, this precipitous decline is upon us, but you just want, that's what you always wonder with a player of his age, when you start to see things that have never happened in a negative uh, frame before uh, throughout his career. Uh, for what it's worth, just as uh, from Tom Gulitti, who posted about this yesterday, uh, Ovechkin going without a goal in first three games for second straight season, third time in his career. Uh, he finished with 42 goals last year. And the longest one Ovechkin went without uh, scoring his first goal was in 2012, 2013. He went the first four games without a goal, and he still led the league in goals that year. There's something about him just not scoring for a period of time, and then he immediately wakes up, and then he produces. I'm right. willing but, to bet he'll bounce back. But I will say, with goal scorers, like I always think the danger is just focusing on the goals. Like If you say so-and-so hasn't scored in six games, it's like, okay, but how many shots is he getting? Where are the looks from? Like Because it's it really is a statistical type of thing. Where you start to raise your eyebrows and wonder is when Ovechkin's not getting shots on net. I mean, that because it's he's just been such a power shooter every year he's played. He's been remarkably healthy throughout his career. Uh, he's probably led the league. Like I don't, I should have looked all this up. We, we're just kind of talking about this on the fly, but he's probably led the league in shots like ninety percent of the seasons he's been in the NHL because he plays almost every game and he shoots the puck a ton. And so if you start to see the shots on goal going down a lot, I mean, naturally that the goals won't come at the same rate, but. I'm with you. This is where it's October 19th. This is like a take that could look so cold, <laughs> like in two weeks, it would, might look ridiculous that we ever even went there. Don't clip this <laughs> <laughs> old takes exposed in like four days. No, no, we don't want that. It's just something we noticed. We're not saying he's washed. Anyway, uh, we move on from uh, Ovechkin and Winnipeg and Ottawa to talk about pride tape. Uh, we've talked about the story before. Uh, a memo going out essentially banning the use of uh, pride tape in support of the LGBTQ community. Uh, players have since pushed back saying that uh, they'll defy the ban. Uh, CJ, where are we at on that story? Well, it's kind of retreated into the, the background now. I mean, obviously we haven't seen a player use pride tape sort of in defiance just yet. Um, and we, so the conversation has sort of died down, but I can tell you behind the scenes that there has been, some talk uh, at the league level with the NHL players association about ways to, I think that there's a recognition that, that this was probably an overreach um, and you know, that, that they, they need to maybe address this in some way. And so I think that there's been talk now about maybe creating a day or days like the NFL has where players can use something like pride tape, um, you know, basically alter a piece of their equipment to support a, a cause that's important to them. And so, you know, I think if this happened and it's still a big, if at this point, this isn't something that's going to be announced tomorrow, I don't suspect, but you know, maybe you have players have an ability to, to represent different causes on certain days or, or what have you. And so, you know, I would say that's at least a step in the right direction. Anyone who's listened to our shows since this came down, will know our stance on this, that, that, you know, we certainly don't understand why this, this fight was picked so to speak. But I, I do think that, you know, that we might see some kind of step back on this based on the way conversations have gone in the last week or so. And I'd also flag to you, Julian, that the first or the next pride night, which will be the first one since this memo went out is coming up in Arizona next Friday, October 27th uh, game between LA and, and the coyotes. And 
I suspect there'll be a lot of eyes on that, that game because we'll see if maybe something's announced between then and now that might lower the temperature. But if not, you go into that game, and I think there's going to be a lot of questions and a lot of people wondering if a player or multiple players will choose to maybe put the pride tape on and, and you know, kind of force the league's hand a little bit more. So I'd say stay tuned there. Um, you know, I actually since had another conversation with Brian Burke since we recorded the last show. And uh, he made it clear to me because I, I think our show created some waves for him. He's not encouraging any civil disobedience out there. He's not He's not actually asking the players to rise up and, and all that. I think that, that he's he's still hopeful um, that, that there's going to be a way that this can sort of be resolved more peacefully or, or um, more logically, I guess. Those are my words, not his, but um, you know, let's see where this goes. I, I definitely feel even though the, 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 it hasn't been, it's got sort of died off as a hot button issue, but it's still being discussed in the background. I think we're still going to see something change. Just, just my hunch. Uh, by the way, be sure to check out Brian Burke on the latest episode of uh, Agent Provocateur. Yeah, it was excellent. Alan Walsh. Uh, good episode there. Uh, by the sounds of it, it seems like the NHL wants to do something similar to what the NFL has with My Cause, My Cleats, uh, basically where players can you know, dress up their cleats in, in support of, of whatever foundation they would choose. I don't think that's a bad idea. That sounds like a cool thing to do, and it allows players to express themselves. Obviously, if it's something that they implement soon the first thing we're going to think of is oh you only did this because you got all that nasty pushback on the memo and all of those players did what they did in on its own i think it's a good idea but i think people are going to recognize the fact that this happened because of the events of the last few months sure yeah i mean look at i'm not telling you, you you can't criticize the league for ever bringing this to become an issue but i i think that there's there's a recognition that it probably I don't, I don't sense that they're fully digging in and saying like, no, this is, this is done. This is over case closed. Let's not, I, there's, there's discussions happening. And I think, you know, look, there's, I think that there's 320 different cause nights that teams are going to hold this year. No, 250 cause nights, 32 teams. Um, so there's, I, this is, this is, we haven't heard the end of this, I guess is all I'm saying. This is that it was ill-conceived as I, you know, I don't need to repeat too much what we've already been over, but like it, it was ill-conceived. It didn't work. And I think that there's a recognition that, that it has to be readdressed in some way, shape or form. We'll just have to see how that shakes out. Okay. Uh, before we get to stick taps, uh, Puck Doku, uh, our competition My man. Uh, involving Puck Doku, shout out Taylor Dixon uh, from Puck Doku, uh, underway as of yesterday. Uh, I tried out your Puck Doku board. Very well done. I recognize the theme right away did you right away there was no there, like like literally like i was about to go to bed and i just want to look at it before i i went to sleep and i saw the teams los angeles uh, i don't remember where they're on the on the y and the x-axis but los angeles carolina washington philadelphia uh those were the teams among the among the categories on the on the productive board the puck doku board sorry english um it was very obvious. It was very obvious. Uh, your Coburg, well, uh, your Coburg friend, friend, we'll say here. Uh, it was the theme here, Justin Williams, Mr. Game 7 himself. Yeah, I mean, very look obvious. At, I'm excited for you to do this now because when you actually have to sit down and figure out what your board's going to be, like, it's not as easy as you think. Like, you can start and be like, you. I guess you have to decide what you want to achieve or if you just want to pick a bunch of teams because you might have a connection to those teams. 
Um, you know, like some might have expected. I've covered the Leafs for so long. Some might have expected to see the Leafs on my board just because it's a team I've covered. But I was like, I want to, I want to go, re- I want to reverse engineer it. So it's like, I want my answers, what could be correct answers to do it. Now, here's the other thing. We're, we're doing a competition where it's the lowest average unique score. Yes. And so I don't want to like put your mind in too many places where you can come beat me now, but I wanted to open, I, I wanted to open up squares that have a lot of different correct answers because that, that leads to more unique scores. And so I basically I landed as like, okay, so what could my theme be? And I was like, Oh wow. Well, Justin Williams played for four NHL teams. So that, that would take up four of the six potential boxes you got to choose. He played over a thousand games. So that ended up being one of the other ones I use, but a lot of players have played a thousand games. I also considered he's won three Stanley cups and I considered, I considered doing like players who've won three Stanley cups plus, but I was like, Oh, that's going to reduce, you know, there's, it's a much smaller number of players who've achieved that than say those that have had a thousand games. Um, and then I had to figure out what the other access would be. I was looking for players that have played a lot um, with Williams and on multiple teams. One of the answers that could have been that I considered Julian was Mike Richards, uh, who played with mm-hmm. Justin in Washington and in uh, not in Philadelphia, in Los Angeles. Um, so maybe if I had done teammates of Mike Richards, it would have been less obvious. I don't know, but I ended up going with Mark Recchi and I chose Recchi largely because he was teammates with all kinds of players. He played all over the league. He played 13 or 1400 games. Uh, and that's how I got there essentially. But I, I wanted to give everyone a free square essentially, because you could have answered Justin Williams on any of the nine squares and been correct. And so that was my gift to the, the puck doku puzzle uh, solvers. Uh, it was fun. I, it was great it was, to do it. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Carter was right there. You know that, right? Yeah, but Jeff Carter hasn't played for well, first of all, Jeff Carter didn't play with Williams in Philadelphia, I don't believe. We'd have to double check. He only played with them in LA. So he wouldn't have I needed a player to make it work on that axis for Justin Williams specifically, I mean. I needed him to have played two teams with with Williams. But yes, okay, Jeff Carter was right there. It was right there. Jeff M. Carter was right there. I just wanted to give you a hard time for that. Uh, no, I thought it was really cool. I did it, and I got a uniqueness score of uh, 37. And I did use Justin Williams on one of the squares. Which square uh, do you remember? Uh, Philadelphia. I have it in front of me. Philadelphia, Washington. Uh, I've seen people use the use Justin Williams for Philadelphia play with Mark Recchi, and apparently that's really like not a lot of people pick that. Uh, for right. that one... I picked, uh, I don't know if you remember the name, Andy Delmore. Oh, yeah. Scored a hat trick for the Flyers. I remember he game. played for Nashville, I want to say, too. I don't remember off the top of my head if he, what other teams he played for, but I, I know for sure he was a Philadelphia Flyer. Uh, that was really fun to do. I know what my board is going to look like for next week. And I'll tell you this. There was one category I was going to use and I'm not going to use it anymore. I feel comfortable saying it now. Um, I wanted to do uh, players taken in an expansion draft, but like that might have been a bit too limiting. Uh, but I, so I decided, like, you know what, I'm not going to use it. But that would have been pretty wild. That would have been pretty difficult. That would have been cool. Do you think he can handle that? I don't even know. I don't know what the limitations I, of the game are. Like, I, I don't know how that works. I don't know if that would have been suitable uh but i ultimately but mostly because when i saw the player theme that you had that immediately made me think well you know what there's a cooler idea i could do 
and I'm going to do that instead. And if I add the expansion draft thing, it won't really make sense for the theme I'm trying to put together. I'll say this. My theme will be a lot less obvious than CJ's. We've talked about Coburg. We talked about (laughs) Justin Williams. It's very obvious. But like, if you see it for When you're known for for something, my friend, you got to lean into it. You lean into it. Absolutely. First of all, it's not going to be as obvious. First of all, I love Coburg, Ontario, my hometown. Well, yeah, hell yeah, you should. My point is, is this, like, there's not a lot of other people that have any platform to be out there banging the drum for Coburg. So I'm just banging the drum for Coburg. I, I appreciate I appreciate the hometown love. I I, I totally get that. There's, there's actually no, a guy no in the Leafs press box the other night. At the, I covered the Leafs uh, Blackhawks game on Monday, and yes. he came up and introduced me. He's a younger media member who I'd never met before, and he's like, "Oh, congratulations on that new job." He's like, "By the way, I'm from Port Hope," and I'm like, "Wow!" And that's the town beside Coburg for the uninitiated out there. Uh, yes. Once upon a time was a big rival in my mind. Oh, but, yes. uh, when 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 my world was small, that was a rivalry. My world is much larger nowadays, and so I'm just happy to hear anyone from the general area I'm from. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Shout out Coburg, my man. Shout out Coburg. So you so you mean to tell me it, it, younger CJ would have put that dude in a locker? No, I mean I was. Locker. This won't <laughs> surprise you. I was never tough or anything. So that no, there there would never have been a threat. You weren't but tough. I, I mean, I was feisty, I would say, but I was not, I was scrappy, but I wasn't a scrapper, if you know what I'm okay. saying. No, I, can, I I think that's that's fine. That's okay. I definitely, but I would have maybe felt something like, oh, Port Hope, but like I literally, <laughs> I mean, the funniest thing of it all actually is, of course, we claim Justin Williams as being from Coburg because he was born there. I think that's what, if you look at his hockey DB or anything, but he actually played his minor hockey mostly in Port Hope. So that's how close the towns are. I mean, like. Port Hope probably claims Justin, even though it doesn't say, you know, Coburg gets to put him on the town sign. But I mean, Justin did play at the Jack Berger Sports Complex in Port Hope a lot while I was playing at the Coburg Community Center. We still need that live show in Coburg, man. We We do. I think it's going to happen. Yeah. I think it's going to. I don't know if anyone will be there, but it's going to happen. No, people would show up. You think? People would show up. I think people would show up. I I still think we can do it in my dad's backyard. I would love to do that. That would be hilarious. Uh, but I, w- I was, again, just with Puck Doku, fun time. Uh, great job, Siege. Uh, and uh, I hope people enjoy my board when it comes out next Wednesday. And uh, let's see if we can get that uniqueness score uh, to the low. You know what I'm saying? Uh, anyway, we've gone through as many topics as we can go through. Unless there's something else we wanted to add, uh, we can get to stick taps. No, let's go to your stick tap, my friend. So my stick tap for this week goes to Philadelphia Flyers forward Sean Couturier. He scored on a penalty shot this week. Uh, It was a really sick move. It was also his first goal in nearly two years. We know he's been battling a series of injuries in that time. So I just wanted to just give him a stick tap for the fact that he's been able to, to return back to play. And he seems like he's healthy when he's at his best. He's one of the best defensive forwards in the game. Uh, obviously not a, on a, on a Patrice Bergeron level, but very underrated in his skill set. So I just wanted to shout out Sean Couturier and give him my stick tap for this week. I'm copying your homework today, Julian, because I'll okay. give mine to Josh Norris. Also oh, returning like from significant injury for Ottawa, uh, making a healthy and happy return on Wednesday night against the Capitals. Uh, happy to see you back too. Uh, lots of players. I mean, look, we'll, we'll probably be giving a, a stick tack down the line to, to Kirby doc, who, you know, it was revealed this week is out for the season with a yeah. significant knee injury in Montreal. Um, you know, injuries suck. And, you know, when you're talking about Couturier a player, you know, obviously was at 
one of the, the top two way players, top, maybe the top two way player in the league uh, before he was, he was sidelined. You know, Norris has a ton of promise for Ottawa and uh, we hope Kirby doc makes a healthy and happy return next season for the Canadians. Absolutely. Also, uh, we don't normally do honorable mentions. I'll do an honorable mention here. Uh, Matthew Phillips of the Washington Capitals scoring his first NHL goal against the team that drafted him and then give him a proper chance in the, in the Calgary flames uh, gets a goal and assist and a win uh, in, in a shootout uh, for the caps over the flames earlier this week. I'll give him a stick tap uh, an honorary mention, uh, which we, again, we don't normally do, but I felt this moment was appropriate to do. Yeah. And he got a cool reaction in the capital dressing room after the game. I don't know if you saw the vid that their social team put out, but uh, you know, pretty neat moment for him. And I like I like this time of year too, because you're getting like first NHL goals, right? You're getting debuts and things like that. Leo Carlson making his debut for Anaheim on Thursday. Um, you know, lots going on around the league. So this is, this is a fun time of year, bud. And I hope, uh, hope you're keeping well out there. I hope you're keeping well too. Uh, one other thing we should mention too, fun goal songs. Uh, we get to hear them for the first time, like Jeff Skinner, uh, opting for a song from the uh, great high school musical uh, Breaking Free as his goal song. That's why I like to discovering that stuff. Now I'm all for more individual goal songs. So anytime we see any creativity like that, I'm all in on that. It's a, it's a fun time. Everything's still new. Everything's still fresh to us. There's been too many, too much goal song discussion in Toronto. So I'm sitting that one out. That's very fair. That is very fair. Uh, keep the discussion going on our discord. Uh, whether you are in the uh, podcast talk chat or in the questions chat, especially in the questions chat, because the Monday episode will be taken in questions for Ask CJ. So whether you're on Discord or whether you're on Twitter, well, while it's still free, uh, send us questions uh, with the hashtag Ask CJ. We'll get to as many as we can on the Monday show. Subscribe to our platforms uh, on Twitter, as again, as long as it's still free. I mean, uh, you're. You, I mean, who knows what will happen? Get your mind out of the gutter. It's still free and it's still awesome. It's still free for now. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, uh, subscribe to our podcast as well. We'll be back on Monday. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long and peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Always remember to bet local. Inside the game twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK and McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.